Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you. Um, our thoughts and prayers are with Dr. Toussaint uh, and Max. Dr. Toussaint is a good friend uh, of Avantel. Um, and many of us that are on staff and many former staff members had Dr. Toussaint in seminary. So we appreciate his ministry and uh, thankful for his ministry here at the marathon class. And we're praying for a quick, speedy recovery for him. And we're very thankful for you guys as well. Marathon is a longtime friend of Avantel, and uh, many volunteers, board members have come from this class. You guys support us uh, in more ways than one with your prayers, with your financial support, and with your volunteering, and we sure appreciate that, and it's a pleasure to be with you here. Um, again, I'm David Souther, president of Avantel, and Avantel is all about the gospel, clear and simple. And our job is to work with churches and believers around the world so they can do what Taylor just said he wanted to do. We want to equip them to share the gospel clearly and simply, connect with people around the world, and equip them to how to share the good news of Jesus Christ and invite people into a relationship with him. And you don't have to be a minister like Taylor to do that. Uh, because you guys can take the gospel to places that a minister could never go, to your workplaces, to your communities, to your families. Our goal and job is to equip people to do that all over the world. And uh, I've got just a couple of handouts for you. Um, how many, did everyone get a prayer guide when you came in? If you didn't, you can see me afterward. I've got them up here. But this is just a very simple tool. We ask you to pray for us as we pursue our mission. And if you open it up, you will see that it's divided into the 12 months of the year. So you can tear this off, put it on your refrigerator, put it in your Bible, and in January, it gives you a little verse and it tells you exactly how you can pray for Vantel. Of course, January's already passed, but you can start in February. And you can even go back to January to pray for our efforts there as well. But just a reminder to pray for us as we, uh, as we travel the world equipping people to share the gospel. So that's number one. I do have one prayer request to add to this. Um, we were planning on going to Asia in March, and we had to cancel that trip. because Well, not cancel it, postpone it because of uh, some uh, issues with our, our partner ministry there who does ministry in China. Um, we're going to postpone that into the summer, but God's timing was perfect because the man I was going to travel with is named Paul Pham. He's our vice president of um, finance and administration. And Paul recently went to the doctor and they discovered a five centimeter spot on his liver. We don't know if it's malignant. They're doing further tests. But please pray for Paul. Um, he desperately wants to go. He's originally from Vietnam. Again, his name's Paul Pham, P-H-A-M. And uh, he's a unique guy. He's an orphan from Vietnam and his parents served as chaplains in the South Vietnamese Army, and they were killed during the war. And Paul's uncle, who was 19 at the time, took Paul and his brothers and sisters, left the country on a boat, traveled to South Korea, and then eventually to Canada. And now Paul is able to go back to Vietnam to minister where his dad ministered, where his grandfather ministered. It's a very powerful testimony. And because the ministers over there already know about Paul's family, we don't have to wait years and years to establish trust, to network. They know Paul. They know his family. And so we're able to do a lot in Vietnam that we otherwise would not have been able to do. So please pray for Paul 
and his family, in addition to the prayer requests that you see here in the handout. And we do covet your prayers. The other thing you should have got is just a save to date card for our annual lunch coming up April uh, the 25th. And the details are on the card. Last year, some of you guys were able to come, and uh, I think you had like three tables there. Daryl Strawberry, former Major League Baseball player, um, all-star, was there and shared his testimony. And if you were there, you know how impactful that was. Um, it was great. He made, the, you know, he made the gospel clear. He spoke to every heart in the place. We hope to do that the same this year. Our theme is finding his strength in your weakness. And our speaker is Chad Hennings. He's a former Dallas Cowboy, um, three-time Super Bowl champion, speaking of the Super Bowl. And uh, he's a veteran, and he wants to come and share. And again, the, the theme is finding his strength in your weakness. You may look at yourself, and you may think, you know, I don't know if I can share the gospel. I don't know if I'm good enough, talented enough, equipped enough. But I, want you, I hope you get to come just to see how God is strongest when we are at our weakest. And that's uh, Chad's testimony. Norm Hiskus, again, the, uh, he's on the ticket. He's a local uh, sports caster and commentator. He will be our host. He's a longtime friend of the ministry. Norm actually came to Christ through the ministry of Evantel, through Larry's relationship with him. So we ask you to join us for that as well. If you don't have that card, come see me afterward. Just a pleasure to be here with you today. Uh, let's open up in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and grace to us, Father. And I stand up here, Father, but uh, I know the message that you've laid on my heart. So I pray that as I share with the people here what you've shared with me, that you would open their hearts, that you would open their minds to your truth, and that they would not hear David Souther, that they would hear the Lord Jesus Christ, and that you would give them clarity of thought as they think through what you are saying, and give them, Father, direct applications, ways they can apply it in their own life this week and throughout their lives. We lift this up to you for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. As Taylor said, today is Super Bowl Sunday. Now, how many of you are going to be watching the Super Bowl? All right. Super Bowl is a unique day for me because it is the only day of the year that I actually pay attention to the commercials. I mean, those commercials, they're creative, they're smart, everybody's talking about them. It's the one day of the year that I pay attention to them. The other times of the year when a commercial comes, comes on, it goes in one ear and out the other. Or I just hit the mute button. I don't want to hear the commercials. Why? Because I usually already know what they're telling me. They usually want to sell me something or tell me something wrong with me and a medication that I need to buy. It's sort of like Clay Cooley. Do you guys know who Clay Cooley is? He's that cheesy guy that comes on. I hope no one here is related to him. But he comes on and what does he say? Shop me first, shop me last. Either way, come see Clay. Exactly. I see him on, I already know what he's going to say. It goes through one ear and out the other. So there's times in our life when we hear something, but we don't pay any attention because we think we already know about it. Another example is when you get on an airplane and you sit down, okay? And usually you'll hear, ladies and gentlemen, we have an important announcement to make about the safety features of this plane. 
please give your full attention to the flight attendant in front of you. And you guys know the drill. What do they do? (laughs) Safety exits there, there, and there. And then they do this. Talking about your seatbelt. And if you don't know how to unlatch it, they show you how. And then finally, they do this. The mask will drop and you put it on. And you know, last time I was in Asia, I had 12 flights. 12 flights in Asia. And they did that on every single flight. And you know what else was common on every single flight? Nobody was paying attention. People were checking their phones. People were talking. Some people were already asleep. Nobody's paying attention. Why? Because been there, done that, got the t-shirt. I know what these people are going to say. Well, you know what? Sometimes we just kind of tune out. You know, we, we, our minds kind of go on autopilot when we see certain things in life. And this can happen sometimes with Bible verses and stories that we hear. If a pastor or a teacher gets up and says, today I'm going to talk about John 3:16," what do you think? Man, I know that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. I can mentally check out. And you can do what I call mental multitasking. What are we going to have for lunch? What does my week look like? Why is so-and-so dressed like that? Isn't that an interesting dress or outfit they have on today? And you can kind of check out given the subject. You know, it could be something like David and Goliath, a story you've heard over and over and over again. Well, today, and you can look in your notes, I'm going to talk about a very familiar story the Good Samaritan. And some of you I know have been in church longer than I've been alive. And you may have heard this story over and over. It's a great Sunday school lesson and you've heard it over and over again. But this is the passage that God has laid on my heart today. And based upon Rex's testimony and some of the others, I believe God has a fresh word for someone here today. That God wants to communicate to you either a new way of looking at this passage or perhaps a new application of this passage in your own life. So that's what I I, want to, I'm going to cover this today. So thank you for your open hearts and your open ears and open minds as we go through this passage. Now this passage is found in Luke and it starts in chapter 10, verse 25. And if you'd turn in your Bibles to Luke 10... And we're going to begin in verse 25. We've got the, and just in case you didn't bring your Bible, we've got it up here on the screen. This is at a strategic location in Luke. The first nine, nine and a half chapters of Luke, it's all about who is Jesus. Through his miracles, through his teaching, the disciples are becoming to learn who Jesus really is. And it culminates in the middle of of Luke chapter 9 where he asked Peter, Who do you say I am? And how does Peter reply? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. From there on, about the middle of chapter 9, 10, all the way to chapter 19, it moves from telling who Jesus is to what it looks like to follow Jesus. It talks about what does discipleship look like and what does it really mean to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. So that's where we are today. The Good Samaritan is in the very first part of that section. What does it really look like to follow Jesus? If we were to say, here's the textbook example of what a disciple looks like, 
That's what Luke is covering. So we're going to start here in verse 25 again in chapter 10. Uh, It just talks about Jesus teaching. It says, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And And you guys know Jesus would go around teaching, and he always drew a crowd. And many times the people stood, but many times they would sit down and listen. And so this is one of those times, and, and it says a lawyer stood up and tested him. Now, when we think of lawyers, what do we think? We think about experts in the civil law. That's not the type of lawyer this was. Lawyer here is another word for scribe. He wasn't an expert in the civil law, but he's an expert in the spiritual law. And those 700 commandments back in the Pentateuch, those 700 regulations, this guy was an expert. He knew them forward and backwards. He's a guy, he's one of those E.F. Hutton people. Do you you guys know the E.F. Hutton people? You remember that commercial? When he speaks, people listen. They went to him. Hey, what about this command? What about this guy knew every command he could recite? He probably recite all of them. He could exegete all of them. He knew them in Hebrew and he knew them in Aramaic. This guy was an expert. Not only, not in civil law, but in spiritual law. Now it says he stood up and tested him and asked him a question. Now, how many of you have been teachers? You've taught in Sunday school, you taught in the public schools. How many? Okay, many of you. Now, you guys know when a student asks a question in class, it's usually one of three types. The first question is a sincere question. They want more information or they want clarification on something you said, a legitimate question. The second type of question is the guy, the class clown, whose purpose in asking the question is just to make people laugh. How many class clowns have I got in here today? Anybody willing to confess? You just want to make people laugh. The third type of question is the student who feels like he already knows what the teacher's talking about, and he wants to either find a flaw in what the teacher is teaching, or he just wants to draw attention to himself and show how much he knows. That was this type of question. Why? Because he stood up. Everyone was sitting down. He stood up, and it says that he tested him. And we're going to talk about that in just a second, what I mean by test. But think about this lawyer. What was precious to the lawyer? Think about the title lawyer. What was precious to him? What meant more to him than anything else? Himself, but what else? The law. This guy held the law sacred. Those 700 regulations, they were precious to him. And so imagine that. He's a religious leader. He's used, he's EF Hutton. He's used to everybody listening to him. Along comes Jesus teaching, and all of a sudden people are flocking to Jesus. But who was flocking to Jesus? Sinners, prostitutes, the sick, the tax collectors, the people who were regarded as quote-unquote second-class citizens. All of these people are flocking to Jesus. And the lawyer is puzzled by this. He's thinking, why are all these people who obviously fall short of the law, who aren't as righteous as me, why are all these people flocking around Jesus? Maybe Jesus doesn't really take the law seriously. Now, how can I expose Jesus and try to, first of all, try to figure out what he believes about the law? 
And secondly, if he doesn't share my beliefs about the law, how can I expose him? That is what I believe is the motive for the question. So the lawyer stood up and tested him. And verse 25 goes on to say, he says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this was a very basic question. Very basic. What he's asking there is, Jesus, how can I know that I'm living a life that God approves of so that at the end of all things, when time is done and there's the general resurrection, how will I know that I have been good enough to get to heaven? That's basically what this is saying. How do I know that I live a life that God approves of? And how do I know for sure that when the resurrection happens, that I can enter his kingdom? That's basically what he's saying. Very general, basic question. But Jesus can smell a trap a mile away. So what does he do? Look at verse 26. What does Jesus say? He says, he said to him, what is written in the law? What is your rating of it? When someone asks you a question and you question their motives, what's the best thing to do? Answer with a question. And that's exactly what Jesus did. So the man replied. So the man answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the the lawyer, in being asked the question in return, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He could have answered, with all 700 laws. Well, you need to do this, and you need to do this, and you need to do this. But instead, he gave a summary of the law. And this was a very common summary, simply saying that the law can be summed up in two ways. First of all, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's all about your relationship with God. And as a result of that, it's how you treat other people, loving them as yourself. So the law can be summed up in your relationship with God and your relationship with other people. This was a very common way back in that time to summarize the law. And in fact, does it sound familiar to you? Who also said this? Jesus himself, in Matthew, answered another man's question. And so, was the man right in summarizing the law this way? Absolutely. In fact, and look how Jesus responds in verse 28. And Jesus said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. And you notice he just kind of lets it linger there. Do this and you will live. Because, see, the lawyer miss the point of the law. The law, the standards of the law are so high. Think what it means to really love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and what that entails, and to truly love your neighbor as yourself. That's a tall order. And you see, the law was designed not only to give you information about what God expects, the law was designed to show you that you fell short of the law's demands and that you needed forgiveness. You needed not only the law, you needed the mercy of God. So the purpose of the law was to say, here's God's standard. You've obviously fallen short of the standard and you need God's forgiveness. This is why Jesus was so popular with sinners because they knew they fell short of the law. They knew they they did not meet the demands. 
it, they needed to come to the Lord for forgiveness, which he ultimately provided when Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But the second purpose of the law was to say, you can't possibly meet this standard on your own. You need divine power. And you guys know the only way that we can truly love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself, we need divine assistance. And what has God given us to help us do that? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. You can't do it on your own. You can't truly love your neighbor as yourself or love the Lord your God with all your heart. You have to have the Holy Spirit empowering. That's what the law was designed to do, to bring you to the point where you know you need forgiveness and that you know you need God's power in your life to be able to live a life that pleases him. But see, the lawyer didn't, he didn't get it. And he's sitting here thinking about this and he says, you know, how am I going to meet these standards? How can I do it? So what, what do lawyers do? They process, they think, and what do they look for? Loopholes. <laughs> you know, if I can just lower the bar just a little bit, or if I can find a way to get around this, maybe I could meet these demands myself. So what does he ask? Verse 28. No, verse 29. The lawyer wanting to justify himself, wanting to say, I can do this. Ask Jesus, who is my neighbor? You see, the, man, the lawyer might have been thinking, you know, I treat my fellow priest pretty well. And you know, for most Jewish folks, at least the ones that are kind to me, I treat them all right. But I don't know if I really treat everybody and love them as I do myself. So I need to qualify this just to see if I can meet this hurdle. So how does Jesus answering him, answer him? He tells a parable. You guys know what parables are. I mean, Stan Toussaint is the king of parables. I mean, you want to know what a parable means? Go ask Dr. Toussaint. A parable, very simply, is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's an earthly story about things that we're familiar with that lead to a spiritual application. And that's what Jesus tells. Uh, he tells this story in front of everyone. And it, and it starts in verse 30. And let's just cover it really quick. Jesus answered and said, in, the man's, in response to the man's question, who is my neighbor? Jesus begins a story. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed leaving him half dead. Now stop right there. There's a road that leads from Jerusalem to Jericho, and there's three things you need to know about this road. Okay, first of all, it was very steep. It's going from Jerusalem, which is around 3,000 feet, down to Jericho, which is about 1,000. So it's a very steep road, and it's a very curvy road, okay? It's not like the roads here in Texas. It's about the roads, it's like the roads where I'm originally from in Tennessee, well, we not only give directions north, south, east, and west, we also give directions up and down. Okay, curvy roads. Now, curvy roads meant you can't see what's coming around the corner. So it was steep, it was curvy, and it was also dangerous. Okay, there were many places because of the curvy roads and because of different caves and places where people could hide that robbers could hang out. They could hide and wait for an unsuspecting person to just be walking down the road, jump out, ambush them, 
beat them up and take all of their money or sometimes even kill them. It was so dangerous, it was called the road of blood. It, it would be like walking down a dark alley in downtown Dallas at midnight. Scary, you can't see, you don't know what's coming. You've heard about things going on. You're, you're, it's a very fearful place. And this was what this road was. Even during the daytime, this would happen. So this poor man is walking down the road. He's probably going to conduct business in Jericho. He might have had his whole life savings with him or at least enough money to do business. And it says he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing. This guy was a victim. And they not only beat him up, they stripped him of his clothes. They took all of his money, everything he had, and they left him for dead. Why? Because they didn't want to leave any witnesses. They beat him up and they fled. And so just imagine this man laying there, half naked, beat to a pulp, helpless, can do nothing to help himself. He's just laying there. The closest thing I can think of, if, if you guys have ever seen anything like this, is like when you're going down a road or interstate and you see ambulances. And it's very unfortunate when sometimes you see the victim laying there. He may be on a stretcher. He may be on the ground. And, and you know, it's a very graphic scene. And you just look at that person. What do you think? Man, that poor guy. Oh, God be with him. That's what this like. You're helpless. Uh, you're vulnerable. You're at risk and you, you're the victim and you're just laying there, okay? So if we were watching this movie transpire and seeing what happened and the injustice this man uh, experienced and he's just laying there, we'd be thinking somebody has got to help this guy, okay? Just imagine watching that. And so we're watching that movie, we see it, and then all of a sudden here comes someone a couple of minutes later and you're thinking, man, great timing. It'd be like if we witnessed an accident and an ambulance or a policeman just happened to show up, okay? And we're thinking, yes, somebody that can render aid, somebody that can help is on the scene. So it goes on to say, and that's just what happened, by the way. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road. And when he saw him, the man laying there, he passed by on the other side. Imagine seeing that crime, seeing the poor victim. He's all by himself. And we see the priest coming. Now the priest, his job was to make sure people kept the law, but he's also called to help people. The priest had some medical training. They're the ones that if someone had been, that someone had been cleaned uh, for, from leprosy, they always said, go and see the priest, because the priests were able to render aid. They had some medical knowledge. So here's a guy that's fully able to help coming, and it's almost like we're like, oh, thank goodness he's coming. Oh, wait a minute, he's just passing this guy right by. And then the Bible goes on to say, so he passes him by, likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. So the Levite, who was just under the priest, who was equipped to help in the situation because the Levites were responsible for giving the alms to the poor, the money that was collected in the temple, they were responsible for giving it and making sure it was spread out to the poor. So he has some experience here, but it's the same thing. He walks right by. And, and the people listening to this were stunned, but some of them knew this was a common thing. So they were in a position to help, 
And they just walked right by. And here's the problem. You see, the priests and the Levites, along with the lawyer, they were experts in the law. They were experts in the law. They could quote every law. They knew how to parse it. They were experts in the word. The problem was that they missed the heart of the law. They were experts in the letter of the law, but they missed the heart of the law. And I've just got a couple of Old Testament verses here to, to read you. Deuteronomy 15, 11. The Lord says, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor your, and needy in your land. That's Deuteronomy 15, 11. Psalm 82, 3. Psalm 82, 3. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and helpless. Hosea 6.6, 6, for I desire mercy above sacrifice. I desire mercy above sacrifice. Isaiah 58, and this one really hits the nail on the head. Isaiah 58, 6 through 8. And Isaiah here is talking about religious rituals, and he's talking about fasting in particular. And here's what he says, and it's the Lord speaking. Is this not the type of fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. Verse 7, is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. All through the Old Testament, it is very apparent that God has a heart for the helpless, for widows, for orphans, for the sick, for the poor, for the people who have no way of helping themselves. God's heart is for And God is in constant search for people in that condition. And God not only wants that to happen, He wants us, His children, to have His heart as well. The church should be the leaders in finding people in our community who have no hope, who are helpless and in need. This is God's heart. But here are two leaders in Israel, the priest and the Levite who should have been the ones leading the charge in this area and reflecting God's heart. But the problem is that they, that they knew that they had the knowledge of the law in their head, but it did not make it to their heart or to their hands or to their feet. They didn't put what they knew in action. They were deep into the Word of God. They knew all the Bible. They knew the regulations. They were deep into the Word of God. But the Word of God was not deep in them. So we've got a problem here. And here is this poor man. And if you, like I said, if you were watching this on a movie, you'd be thinking, who is going to help this poor man? Who is going to come to his aid? Well, someone does. Read here in verse 33. But a certain Samaritan... As he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now here's a plot twist. 
This is sort of an unexpected thing in this story. Why? Because of who the Samaritans were. Most Israelites considered Samaritans to be second-class citizens. Where did the Samaritans come from? Back in Israel's history, Samaria, which was another country, took over the northern part of Israel. And they defeated them in battle. And what they did to weaken them, they made most of the Jews move out of northern Israel. And they brought in people from other nations to fill in. That's where the Samaritans come from. So to most Jewish leaders and people in South Israel, guess what? They viewed the Samaritans as invaders and as trespassers on their land. Okay? Number two, Samaritans, when they came in, they brought different beliefs and religions. They took some of what the Jews believed, but they mixed it with their other uh, religious practices. So many times they didn't even agree on just the, the basics of their faith. So here are people, they don't even belong here. They're of a different religion and belief system, and they're of a different race. So Samaritans were viewed as second-class citizens. And you know what Samaritans probably had, compared with the Jewish leaders, the least amount of knowledge about the law? But notice this Samaritan, he didn't have as much knowledge as the priest. He didn't have as much knowledge as the Levite. But what he did have, he put into practice. And notice what it says here. It says, he came, he, as he journeyed, he came where the man was, and when he saw him, he had what? Compassion. Compassion. Compassion is greater than pity. Because pity, you look at someone and you feel bad for them in your heart. Compassion moves beyond that. It is love in action. It is not only I feel sorry for that person, what is it? I'm actually going to go and help that person. It's not just the knowledge, oh, this is a bad situation. It's actually your knowledge going to your feet and to your hands. How can I help? God, how can you use me to minister to this person that you have a heart for? And that's exactly what the Samaritan did. Notice what it says in verse 34. Here's what he did. So he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Okay, stop right there. Most commentators believe that this Samaritan didn't have a, a, an emergency kit, a first aid kit on him. That these bandages that he put on him were actually part of the Samaritan's clothes that he ripped up and tore, off, tore up in order to help this man. It said he poured oil and wine. Now back in the day, wine or vinegar was used as an antiseptic to clean the wound. And the oil was put on to soothe the burns. It's sort of like aloe. You know, when you put aloe on something to help protect and heal the wound. So he took time to stop and actually care for this man. But he didn't stop there. It's, it's in verse 34. And he set him on his own animal and brought him to an end. He didn't just help him with his medical needs. He helped him with his transportation needs and got him to an end where he could recover. And when they got to the inn, it says he took care of him. And on the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever you more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So he stops, he goes to the man, he helps the man and provides medical care. He puts him up on his donkey and brings him to the inn 
takes further care of him, makes sure he's safe and sound, probably had a good relationship with the innkeeper, probably a lot of trust there, saying, hey, you take care of him, and if you can't, arrange for someone else too, and here's enough money to take care. And if you go over and above, you know me, you can count on me, I'll reimburse you. Comprehensive care by the Samaritan, the one that had the least amount of knowledge about the law, but put what he knew into practice. That is key. Now think about what this cost the Samaritan. What all did this cost the Samaritan? It cost him time. I'm sure the, the, the Samaritan was on, on a business trip. He had to actually stop and give time to this guy. Um, it cost him uh, the things that he had, the oil, the wine, the strips of cloth, were, which were probably his own clothing. It cost him money when he got to the inn. Think about this. It cost him, this was a risk. How was it a risk? He didn't know where the robbers were. For all he knew, they could have been hiding or on down the road. And if they heard what he was doing, they could have come and returned. But he put his own self at risk in order to do this. And he puts the guy on his donkey, which means he's walking. He's walking. And he gives the guy the, the seat the comfortable place on the donkey so they can carry. So this cost a lot. Time, money, effort, and some risk involved. But notice what Jesus says. He concludes this by saying, so which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? Now notice what Jesus does there. What was the original question of the lawyer? Who is my neighbor? Think of that in terms of a noun. Person, place, thing. Who's my neighbor? He's seeking to limit the command. Jesus says, he turns it. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him? So Jesus almost turns neighbor into a verb. And neighbor simply means meeting someone at their point of need and, uh, and meeting their needs. So he goes from the noun neighbor to really a verb concept saying, let's, the question is not, let's limit who we're going to minister to. Let me show you the depth of ministry that you should have. So which of these three was neighbor to the one who fell among thieves? And the answer is completely obvious but surprising to the lawyer because it was the guy, it was the Samaritan, who had the least amount of knowledge of the law. But again, put it into practice. Notice what the, what the lawyer says. He says, He who showed mercy on him, he couldn't even get himself to bring himself to say the word Samaritan. He said, the one that showed mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Very quickly for applications. Number one, when he told told the lawyer, go and do likewise, just as the Samaritan did, you go and do. This wasn't just for the lawyer. This isn't just for religious leaders like pastors or ministers or people like Taylor. This is for everyone who is a Christ follower. Go and do likewise. And if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ alone, that means it's for you and for me. Not just for your pastor, not just for your benevolence department in your church, for you to refer people to. This is how you and I as Christ followers can get personally involved. Now, the question is why? Why should we get involved? 
Well, there are many reasons, but let me tell you the main reason why. As a Christ follower, you should get involved. Now, I need everybody looking at me. This is the reason. Because you were that guy. You were the man on the Jericho Road. You say, how? I've never been in that type of trauma. I've never been a victim like that. What do you mean, David? The Bible says that before you trusted Christ, guess what? Just as this man was half dead, you were fully dead in your trespasses and sins. You were lost as a goose and bound for hell. And you had no way to help yourself. You were completely helpless, vulnerable there. And Jesus Christ saw you in your condition. And Jesus, at great expense to himself, came to this earth. He was a great teacher. He was a prophet. But he primarily came to do something about your condition. He died for your sins and rose from the dead. And because of that, he extended grace and mercy to you. And when you trusted Jesus Christ, he saved you, he rescued you, and he gave you a new purpose and a new meaning in life. We've all, if we've trusted Christ, have been the recipients of God's mercy, of his care for us, his daily provision. He's been so good to us. He's been so good to us. And you know what? We can never pay God back for the mercy and grace he's given us. We can never pay him back. But you know what we can do? We can pay it forward. Do you know what I mean by that? There was a movie that came out not long ago. Well, maybe it was at least a decade ago, and it was called Pay It Forward. And what it simply means is this. If someone aids you, if someone gives you help, financial help or physical help, don't worry about paying them back. Or the person may say, don't pay it back, pay it forward. Meaning, go and treat someone else the same way that you were treated. That's what the Christian life is all about, folks. God has been so good to us, giving giving us his grace and mercy, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And he's caught, we can never pay him back. A million good deeds can never pay him back. But you know what he's asking us to do? Go out there, be salt and light, and pay it forward. And show other people grace, the grace, the mercy, and the love that I have shown you. Even people who could not possibly pay you back. Go show them that same kind of mercy. So, that's regarding who. The command is for everyone. The second thing regards when and where. Now, I'm sure this priest, when he passed by the person, and the Levite, when he passed by, there are many reasons they may have passed by. Maybe they didn't have enough time. Maybe they were afraid of the robbers being nearby. Maybe they were uh, concerned because this person might be dead. And you know the law says we're not supposed to touch dead people. But, or maybe they just thought, hey, I'm off the clock. My ministry is at the temple on, on Saturdays. My ministry is there, and when I'm done there, I'm done. That's ministry. This is real life. But, but you know what? God is not only calling us to love our neighbors just here at church, among people who are like us, And believe like us. He's calling us to go out into the world. Ministry does not only happen at church. Because think about it. Is this the church? This building? No. We are the church. So he's saying don't just do ministry at church. Go and be the church. 
Go and be the church in this dark world. Not only on Sunday, but every day of the week. In every place that you go, including somewhere like the Jericho Road. And you know what? Our world is becoming more and more like the Jericho Road. You turn on the news, it's, it's scary. Um, you see lots of stuff going on, lots of violence, injustice, and it can be scary. Just as walking down a dark alley or being on the Jericho Road was scary. And this is where it's huge, and this is where I want to build on what Rex pointed out. God is not calling us to withdraw. God is not calling us to stay in our huddle here at church and remove ourselves from the world. What's God calling us to do? To get out there, to be salt and to be light. And to have God's heart of finding people who are helpless, who are in need, and to help be God's hands and feet in meeting those needs. To go and do likewise. So here's the big idea. Loving your neighbor means loving, some, loving anyone in need in the same manner Christ loved you. Loving your neighbor means love anyone in need who you are in a position to meet their need in the same manner Christ has loved you. God is not calling us to shrink back God is not calling us to complain or bellyache about our world. God is calling us to be the church, salt and light, and to go and do likewise. Now, just a couple of more things. You may be thinking, I don't know anyone in need. You know, I'm not really sure. I don't know of anyone. There's no one in my direct path. I challenge you to pray this. Pray, Lord, open my eyes to the needs around me. Open my eyes to the needs around me and let me see people in situations the way you see them and give me your heart for them. Try visiting your community care ministry here at church. They will point you to many ways that you can step in and help. And by the way, will you repeat your announcement real quick? Little Elm Food Bank is depleted and needs to be resupplied. It's Button Memorial Church in Little Elm. Two o'clock Tuesday afternoon. Button Memorial Church in Little Elm. Food bank, two o'clock. There you go. Tuesday. And then ask, Lord, how do you want me to help? Now you may say, David, you don't understand. You know, I'm on a fixed income. There's not a lot I can do. But it's amazing what God can do with a little. I think about the prophet Elijah going to the widow there in, in, in the land and how she said, I only have this much and how God provided for her to take care of Elijah. God can do a lot with a little. God knows how, knows how much you make. God knows where you are. Just offer what you have in yourself to him and leave the rest in, in, in his hands. Now you may say, David, one time I tried to help someone long ago, but he turned out to be a crook or she, they were just in it to swindle. Well, let me tell you, there are some people out there that, that would, would, might take advantage of you. But there are also other tons of people that are truly in need. And just because that happened to you once or twice, do not close off in your mind that God no longer wants you to reach out. Keep reaching out in faith. Keep, uh, we want to be discerning. We want to be careful. But keep reaching out regardless of what happened. Now, finally... 
and I want to be careful with this and then I'm done. Some of you may say, David, this would have been a great idea for me when I was younger. I had more energy then. I had more opportunity then. Well, this whole thing is about what it means to be a Christ follower. And you know what? You never are too old to keep following Christ. You never are too old. Some of you are 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and beyond, but you're never too old to keep following Christ. And here's the deal. This class is called Marathon. And I love that name. Why? Because life is a marathon. And many of you have been following Jesus and running for years and years and years. God bless you. Thank you. And even though... You may be older and you're not able to do all that you could do. You still can follow Christ and you still can go and do likewise meeting needs. And here's the deal. In a marathon, when you watch one on TV, what happens the last few miles of the marathon? Do people shrink back? Do people stop and just start walking slowly? No. What do they do? They push through to the end. That's when they start to kick. That's when they start to run the hardest. And it's the same way for you. Because let's face it, if we all live to 100, you guys are closer to the finish line than some. And and I say that in love. And we never know when our time is up. But you guys are near the finish line. And it's not time to shrink back. It's not time to, to slow down in following Christ. And whatever God has given you and the ability he's given you, it's time to push ahead. Why? Because you're getting close to the finish line. And who's waiting for you at the finish line? The Lord Jesus Christ, standing there with His hands open. And when you cross that line and you're running full force, and when when He's inside and you see the finish line, it's not time to slow down. It's not time to go on pause. It's time to start kicking with all your might, with everything that's in you. Whether you run, whether you have to crawl, whether you have to kick, scratch, whatever, to get there. Because you want to arrive. And you know what you want Jesus to say? Well done, my good and faithful servant. You were with me and followed me when you were young, when you were middle age, and now at the end, you kick. And that's what this is all about. Go and do likewise. And how do you do that, Lord? Open my eyes to the, to the needs around me. And Lord, let me be your hands and feet to those who really, really need you. Amen? Let's close in prayer, and then I'll let you go. Father, thank you so much for your word and how even a familiar Bible story like this, the Good Samaritan that is taught in children's Sunday school all through the nation, Father, how it can have new principles and new applications for us. Father, I pray for every person in this room, every precious child of yours, and I pray that you would just give them new encouragement and new energy, Father, as they continue to run this race and follow you. And Father, I pray that you would just bring to our hearts and minds opportunities, people in need that are all around us, and that you give us the resources and strength, Father, to meet those needs, however you would have us meet them. And we do that, Father, uh, not just because, quote unquote, we're good people, because in and of ourselves we're not it's because of the grace that you've shown us that we can never repay you for but father we can pay it forward and we can direct other people to you in the process so i just commit every believer here thank you for this word that you've given me i pray that through the power of the holy spirit you would apply it to the lives of the people here today in jesus name amen thank you